sometimes the way I can look at something is skew or bring a few different interesting elements to get together to give you uh, uh, a different idea. You know, um, I indulge in my, my musical self also, which is still a part of that artistic expression. Uh, there's writing that I do. Uh, there is dancing that I do. So when you start uncovering your creativity, there are always layers that start to get peeled back. Yo, family, thank you for tuning in to the Sunday show with Jonathan Soul. I'm not a religious man anymore, but you will be inspired in these next few minutes. Conversations with African-American artists, writers, filmmakers, and brothers and sisters living abroad. We talk about how they do what they do when they're doing it. Basically, their business and their life. And we try to have fun doing it. Every Sunday, right here on JonathanSoul.com, iTunes, YouTube, Tumblr, and Blackspot with a Q.com. All right, family, let's get into the program. I got the honor and privilege of talking to one of the masters. Somebody who uh, has a fine art style uh, that not only inspires, I would say, but it critiques. Critiques in the sense that when you compare some of the artwork that he presents and some of the images, some of the intent uh, with some of the other speculative, uh, you know, uh, fictional, you know, comic book art that I see out there, it, it really kind of brings uh, some other artists to task. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about Mishindo Kumba. How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well tonight, brother. Doing very well. Glad to um, be on your podcast. Now, when I look at your art, I, I think to myself, whoever painted this didn't have, uh, his ancestors were not enslaved. That's the vibe that I get. Brother, I have to say that is a very, very high compliment. Hmm. It is what I seek to imbue our work with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The fact that what we look at what we listen to and what we experience says the opposite of what you just said. Mm -hmm. It says that we are born to be below someone, something, the bottom of the, of the pile and that we, our enslavement is who we were put on this planet to be. Mm. And I don't agree with that. So picking that up, that, that vibration or the need to oppose that vibration is really the thing that fortifies every single image that I do, whether it's commercial or for person's private use or for my own private use. Mm -hmm. It has to say something that is deeper, that stimulates our subconscious right. because we're being attacked on that level very vigorously and very consistently. Yeah. I was trying to explain something like that, uh, something to that effect to my son. Uh, there's a movie poster out for the uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, this new movie or whatever. And uh, Tashi, uh, Tariq Nasheed did an analysis, and basically he was saying, okay, this is a play against Black Lives Matter. You have these black apes, you know, and then you have this one chimpanzee in a blue vest, which is supposed to represent that well-known activist, in quotes, I don't know if the brother is active. You know, uh, Delray McKinnison, and then the cops are all in rag gear and blah, blah, blah. I was trying to explain it to my son, and 
I didn't want to convey like a conspiracy vibe. I wanted to convey the power of imagery. And I wanted to convey how um, certain cultures have their own uh, totems, have their own visual language. And yes. that African-American people and African and diaspora, we need to kind of remember those images. And we need to kind of, you know, use that same kind of uh, uh, planning, that same kind of uh, um, will, that same kind of intent when we create art. I agree. Um, Paul Robeson said, art not created for the purpose of the of, 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 of freeing the African mind is useless. Mm. And I live my life through Brother Robeson's leadership and his his words and his ideology. Mm -hmm, he, mm -hmm. he was a man that understood uh, figuratively and definitively who he was, but also where Africa was in or, or how Africa was tied into everything is that there isn't anything that I haven't created and or done. And it's just a matter of looking at the history and finding your footsteps. Uh, I call African people earth indigenous hmm. because we are everywhere once you dig past a certain layer as far as archaeology is concerned you get past the layer of everyone else and you just find a, a certain group of people and i think science in its connection to racism will move our minds away from connecting ourselves to anything in the ancient world mm -hmm. of any people now when i look at your uh when i look at the images that come up on a google search for example um, I see one, uh, somebody who's in love with the human figure. Am I off on that? You are, you're very, you're very keen. You know, I think it is one of the, if not the favorite thing. Uh, well, it's one of my favorite things to draw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember when I was in, uh, art school years ago, the teacher tried <laughs> to get us to look at the, the nude model, not as, you know, this pretty girl naked on the <laughs> stage, but tried to look at her in terms of shapes, tried to look at her in terms of shadow and light and form. Um, how do you approach the human figure? Is it, is, are you studying, okay, this is trapezius connects here and the, and the deltoids connect. I mean, how do you approach when you, when you draw? Well, uh, there are many things that you learn from drawing the human figure that assist your understanding uh, with drawing other things and understanding how things are made. Um, it goes back to the ancient Egyptian idea of know thyself. Uh, there's some literal truth in that, where what you know about yourself, that knowledge seems to work in extending your awareness of something else. Self-knowledge is crucial. So when I draw the human figure, I not only look at how the anatomy is constructed, but I also am looking, I'm learning lessons in perspective the lessons in light that you spoke of, uh, uh, the lessons in geometry uh, are there, uh, lessons in foreshortening, which is an idea of depth. There are all these lessons in the human figure. So once you become proficient there, you can really extend those knowledge bases to you know, placing that same human being now with some of that math that you learn in doing the figures 
and apply it to putting a figure around some buildings, taking those buildings and putting a background there and putting what the sky is and drawing these different layers uh, uh, of depth. So the human figure, I think, is primary because when you're younger, if you start there, it's really easy to flower out into different types of art awareness. So what are you saying? There's no shortcuts. I can't just start drawing uh, uh, guys and gals in tights with capes. I have to actually do the basics and and learn the human figure and, and learn perspective. And I have to do that. You, you trying to tell me, man, there's hey, no look, shortcuts. Is that what you're trying to say, Machendo? I, I think the best way to do it, man, is you have to live in it. You know, I, I don't do art. I, I actually am art. Art is 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 a, a perspective or a lifestyle for me. So I actually don't, I don't see that I have a job. I have a lifestyle. Mm. So by living it that way and committing to the entire idea of art, not just artistic expression, the way I use my words, there's a, it's a way that's likened just to, to me and how I see things. And sometimes the way I can look at something is skewed or bring a few different interesting elements to get together to give you uh, uh, a different idea. You know, um, I indulge in my, my musical self also, which is still a part of that artistic expression. Uh, there's writing that I do. Uh, there's dancing that I do. So when you start uncovering your creativity, there are always layers that start to get peeled back. Hmm. Uh, there are many actors and actresses since this, in this moment, we seem to focus on them so much. Uh, there are many actors and actresses, people who are in the creative field, which acting is one of those extensions of, of, of art. You find that they'll have other skills that they have, you know. Okay. Um, this is something I think is crucial in the development of the youth, is, is learning, especially today with the way the internet actually destroys gatekeepers. Where when I was younger, you always had to reference yourself to a second or third party to get into something to be successful. Mm -hmm. Because printing was super expensive. If, if you wanted to make a certain amount of money, uh, in this society you get told to, to get employment as opposed to entrepreneurship. Right. And I don't necessarily agree with that because we all spend a lot of time in the digital world. And those are always potential clients, customers, if you have something to offer. Mm -hmm. So if you harness that power that young people naturally have to being open to creative expression, we could actually really jumpstart, man, an interesting addition to families, economies, because now the children will be gainfully engaged in entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurialism and mm -hmm. bring that income into the function of the family and to their own, so securing their, their own futures. This is really that family cooperative that we are going to be forced back into understanding and applying. Okay, I, I wanna key in on something. You said we're gonna be forced. Yes. Explain. Uh, simply put, the way we are being killed in the street mm -hmm. is suggestive of how important we are or are not socially. Okay. 
that means that whatever functions for everybody else in society is not going to function that way for us, no matter how we slice it. So it'd be best that if we understand things like Black Wall Street, mm-hmm. that we should learn to cooperate each other and not adapt everybody else's racist view of us. Right. Because, see, we are racist also because we are like everyone else. This is the thought form that we're all in, that black people are a part of a particular structure in society, a particular strata in society. We are suggested, or, or it is suggested that we remain. And that's because we're not taking the billions of dollars, man, that we spend and move through our hands. And transforming that into ownership and control. Those two things are so crucial. We wouldn't have to worry about a Disney or a Marvel and what they make for us. We would actually create a stream where we can make these movies, support these movies, and distribute these movies. Not even in a direct challenge, but just so that we start to harness our own dollars first. Mm-hmm. And support our creatives. Because what do we do most of the time? We we support a lot of the creatives. We do. But those creatives sometimes are married to other communities' ideas of where wealth should go and what it should be. Right. So why we are constantly asking, well, why aren't we at the Oscars? Well, why didn't we get recognized for what we did here? Because I think there's an economic element to all of this creativity. And the young people who are making their money in Hollywood, I don't think that it's necessarily fruit for us, fruitful for us to think that they're just going to give up a portion of that lifestyle for us to be fair. Hmm. I'm not confident in that. Folks like money and sharing isn't really the thing that we are taught to do. But you said forced. Sure. Um, I think there's a uh, there's a, a a little buzz or not a trend that I saw on social media a hashtag Confederate. So okay. uh, the two showrunners, the producers of uh, Game of Thrones, a very popular show which I don't watch anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm sad to say I watched it, but these guys are after the last season of Game of Thrones. They're gonna do a show called Confederate, and the premise is what if the South won the civil war sure and so of course you know what i mean uh you know on the one hand uh it's gonna kind of feed the negative energy uh that trump is just a symbol of this kind of resurfacing in the states right Mm -hmm. um you know and and then you know of course when you put it on television it kind of gives it some legitimacy in a way kind of thing uh, it's almost like the it's like the counter of, of all the police the violent videos, you know, when you, you, you know. So to me, people like yourself who are creating the, it's, it's you know, it's not having the same kind of uh, reach. But in any kind of movement, it's always a core group of people who are inspired and who put the, the sweat equity in it. And then once they build that core movement, then the masses come along. Um, when I look at your work, to me, it's of course, it's inspirational. Um, I'm just wondering when you go to shows, when you go to um, uh, not conventions, but when you, you know, when you go to expos or whatever, how do kids 
like children respond to your work? Uh, they respond to it like everybody else. Mm. What they're responding to is like you said at the top of the show, there's a sweat equity that's visible in the quality of my work. Mm -hmm. All of that is extremely intentional. Um, I tell people that I've raised the quality of my work to being compatible to fiat currency. I can use my work to exchange it for goods and services. Okay, I'm with you. <laughs> I was like, fiat currency? I don't think I've seen his work before. I got your fiat currency. I'm with you, brother. Go ahead. I'm with you. You know what I'm saying? So it's, a, it's, a, it's an instrument of exchange now. So, you're, so basically you're ahead of the curve. Because that's what you were talking about. You were saying that we're going to be forced in this situation. You understand? There's this tension that's building up. You know, we're going to be... I think probably Black Wall Street happened out of necessity. You know? Well, it did. I'm saying that there's a, um, there is a mindset that we have to have mm -hmm. that we are part of a larger community and that we have a communal family yeah. as well. You know, whether we... We see that being genetic or not. You know, if we see it through political allegiances like black, there is an issue that my skin proposes to the larger society. And I have to move with my resources, with how I raise my children and what I teach them. You know, what I'm doing in, in family structure, you know, the type of support from a woman that I get. Etc. Etc. Has to be all in support of organizing the moment so that we could foresee a future that doesn't have some of these challenges. Because this is something that we are going to have to be extremely diligent in changing. Um, for instance, I just came from seeing. Um, Valerian, and I'm going to tie it right back into the idea of children because okay. I, the 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 movie was stunning when it came to its visualization, and I saw it in 3D as well. So I like wow. 3D. I think movies should just be made for 3D because I really enjoy depth. Try to put depth into my work. Mm -hmm. It it was beautiful, but then there's the same you know, Eurocentric superiority narrative that's so strong there that the, man, and there are going to be some spoilers here, but there's a, a people who are a focal point of the story. Mm -hmm. And they look like Maasai people, but their skin was pale. They looked like albino Maasai. Mm. Now, I think the story would have been much richer if they just look like Maasai, like the culture that they appear to indulge in suggests. Okay. So here I am present in a sense in this futuristic story, but my complexion now is something else. Why is it that that part of me is always the issue, right? And then you have the savior idea mm -hmm. that this particular group of people have to come and save these other folks it's still there now i've learned to accept that as fair if that's how you see the world you know i don't even want to force you to be inclusive i think you should be allowed to be exactly who you are because by that we will know you we will know you by your works right uh, for those christians you know you will know them by their works 
So I now am equally empowered to make my same observations and uh, future projections through my own creativity. And it has to be on a particular level because some of the narratives in the story I know would hurt young black children's minds, mm -hmm. especially the scene with Rihanna and who oh, Rihanna really? is. The story. Now, I'm only looking at it because I'm looking at the depth of symbology yeah. and how we are coerced to think negatively through entertainment by these kinds of films. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. a part of where we're falling behind in, the, in, in, in this whole experience that we're all having is that we're not understanding the alchemy. We're not understanding the witchcraft of what's going on anymore. The images, man, are powerful yeah. because they're all the time and they strike right at a part of your imagination that's susceptible to imagery. You that's know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that. One thing that, that I would say would be a perfect example is, um, and this is, this is related, trust me, is sure. uh, the little video from um, the OJ story, Jay-Z. Have you seen that? I have, man, and the one thing that was bothering my mind yeah. is that it's like using the word nigger mm -hmm. or eating chitlins. Mm -hmm. If you're supposed to be free, then why do you still have the accoutrements of your enslavement now as jewelry? Mm. Mm -hmm. That would be like getting out of prison and wearing a jail suit every day that you're out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yo, son, you going back? Nah, man, I've been out for six years. And you still in the St. Orange jumpsuit? What's up? But that's the product That's the product of colonialization. They I, I, want you to drop the chains on your wrist because that's in bad taste. That's embarrassing. That's bad for the PR. Uh, but we want to make sure those chains are on your mind nice and tight. Which goes back to now why what we do as artists is so important. Yeah. Now, so what I'm hearing from you is sure. an artist has a responsibility to his community to bring them up. Because folks say, well, the art just reflects the times and, and art imitates life or whatever. It, it does. But I feel like people under siege, like African-American people in particular and, and Africans in the dysphoria, if you're under siege... We can't afford to have no art that's not propaganda. That's my point. Uh, well, you know what, man? There's, there are going to be folks who look at it completely differently. Mm -hmm. So I get the luxury to have created a life where I can live and stand on that without worrying about whether somebody's going to give me a job or not. Or right. if I need to work at a particular large company. Okay. Those things have not been how I emoted my art. It's not the kind of money that I've chased. And I have a communal relationship that is allowing me to build something where I've been self-employed since I was 18. Wow. That's incredible. So, so I've, I've been in the trench as an artist. I understand the disrespected artists get. Mm -hmm. I also understand how people move around artists, get known because they're among artists, and then use that same leverage to now dictate who is and who isn't a good artist. People who have very little to no talent themselves. I'm around people like this. There, there's a very predatory thing that artists have to 
lived through. Because remember, somebody did create a narrative that artists naturally are starving, while none of us can have a single thing that we use in life that isn't designed and created by an artist. So that's a strange narrative to have in a society that everything is designed by us. Mm. That's interesting. You said that you've been uh, self-employed since you were 18. Were yes. you around in the 90s during that like uh, that kind of black cultural renaissance? Yes. I was. I think I was very much a part of that because I had my own comic books um, and was doing a lot of commercial work on so many different levels. You know, like mm-hmm. I was doing automotive art at the time. I was doing wearable art, you know, because I had mastered airbrushing. Okay. So a lot of the work, man, was large scale mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of wearable stuff. You know, I think I made my most, my strongest impression on the population when I was doing the wearable art. Now, when you say wearable, do you mean like painting on clothes or? Clothing, or they would buy a brand new jacket and bring it to me. So these were, this is the kind of commercial work where the studio's open. Uh, I'm open to whatever your art project is. Okay. So people would walk into the studio with what I considered art challenges. Hey, man, really? do you do you draw on glass? Can you paint my daughter's portrait? Because uh, people have their creative ideas. And since mm-hmm. they can't, you know, fulfill that themselves, they'll find a, a, a craftsman to do it. You know, so and, you're part of that cultural that cultural awakening. Do you feel like we're going through that same vibration now? Well, I, I do. Because once again, there is we are under a siege and we always have. But it just seems that there's a more openly spoken rhetoric about returning to the good old days. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know what that means because uh, I think people in this country have been taught that God told them that I belong to them, you mm-hmm. know, as this chattel, yeah. you know, and uh, I vehemently disagree. Mm-hmm. So I have to think, I think I have to live in that disagreement. So if you were part of the Renaissance in the 90s and you see this, how can we make it last? Because in my mind, there was a gap. There was a period where maybe a lot of people got jobs and it just it just the support just I think it just went away. How can we how can we avoid another, you know, you know, it seems like every 30 years you follow me. You know, there's like this awakening and then we go back to sleep. I'm just one of the I used to do news, you know, and then I just it just the muse wasn't there when I discovered, you know, what what y'all are doing now. My microphone kind of came alive again. So one of my desires is to be a part of not making this just a trend. And then five years, it goes away. What can we do, in your opinion, to to turn these these renaissances, these awakenings into something sustainable? I think how we handle um, the business part of it, you know, and what we network with, what we are willing or uh, or not willing to sell off. Okay. You know, maybe we can set our uh, business arrangements up so um, we get a healthy share of what our work is helping to create. Okay. I know that takes time to build, you know. Um, It's building a lot of platforms uh, where we can do our own work. And distribute that work mm-hmm. with comfort, knowing that we can do the kind of numbers that would keep it, keep the endeavor prosperous. I don't always think that 
like working for DC and um, working for Marvel and working for these these other companies gives us the latitude of control to be able to green light projects, you know, to be able to get into the inner workings of these companies to really let ideas that would um, would really speak to the uh, black experience, if you will, because mm-hmm. we're hungry for that. Because when someone else creates that narrative for us, I personally, like in the, the Valerian movie I spoke of and, and many other things I see, I just don't like the way I am written. Yeah. Or completely uh, ejected, you know. It's like there's this need that whatever we take in regularly, you know, certain people are removed. And that concerns me because that's like having a thought that you're going to be gone in the future. There's power in that. And the reason I like working for myself is I'm not actually feeding the monster. Mm. I'm not taking my psychic kinetic energy and feeding the beast that is against me. That right. doesn't make freaking sense to me. Because no, this, this work that I do has power in it. And I'm trying to make sure that power gets used right where it should. It's definitely a longer curve, but I think it's a better one. Because not only do I sleep at night, but I think my ancestors protect me because of that. It's beautiful. One of the things that we have now that we didn't have in the 90s is the internet. Well, we had the internet kind of in the 90s, but you know what I mean. But um, one of the things that we have in abundance, I would say, is uh, the internet and the smartphone. Right. One of the big things uh, that's happening with the uh, the speculative art, this fiction, uh, is the movies, of course, and sure. games. Games is like a big part of it. Um, sure. I understand that you're working or you have a, a game project that's coming to the smartphone. Yes, man. Um, I've been working um, with a brother named Derek Garvin, you okay. know, uh, from New Jersey. And he, uh, I think, I always speak of Derek's genius, what I think is his his genius, because the brother's so intelligent. And he has been an old school gamer for many, many years, from the D&D years, oh, you wow. know. He's okay. also a pilot, you know, and you know the kind of multitasking that pilots have to have the minds uh, uh, to, to, to comfortably accomplish on the daily. Um, and he's got all that genius flowing through this idea, Dynasty of the Magi, um, and it's an, uh, an online multi- multiplayer that's coming to your your uh, iTunes store very soon. Um, it's something that boasts uh, 45 zones, um, many different interesting bosses, and a really interesting book that is connected. Excuse me, that was uh, someone trying to call. Um, okay. And uh, a book idea about this rites of passage uh, of, of one of the male uh, protagonists. And it's, it's a part of the journey that we were talking about, about rediscovery of purpose and the definition of self through understanding the right thing. The right thing meaning what is your name? What is your true name? And once you unlock that true name, there is power in knowing that. And it unleashes all of this insight that takes you through this wonderful story that actually, once read, will move you through the game. So it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating project to be a part of, and we've been working on it going into four years now, going towards a five-year mark. 
Wow. Just so are we talking uh, this year, next year? When can we expect to see it? Probably at the top of the year or, or just crossing over into the new year. You okay, know. so spring of 2018, best case? Uh, possibly. Possibly. Excellent. Okay. You know, right. it's, it's, flexi it's flexible in the sense that, you know, there are a lot of things still to go through as far as programming and mm -hmm. getting all of the functions extremely tight. Gotcha. So, gotcha. And just so I'm clear, yeah. you're doing the character design, right? Yes, I've done a lot of the uh, character design, a lot of the 2D art that you'll see in the game, right. and a lot of the uh, uh, co-conceptualization with uh, Derek. Excellent. Yeah. And now, another place that I found your work, it was um, when I went to, uh, uh, I think it was, uh, shoot, um, it is carbonfiber.me. Okay. Carbon-fiber, and I spelled, I guess, the French way, F R. I mean, F-I-B-R-E dot me. And right, right. Uh, Gray Williamson is over there. Yes. I mean, he's the only cat that I can think of that, you know what I mean? It's like it's it's like one of you guys is like uh, Richard Pryor, another one is Dave Chappelle. You know what I mean? It's like. That's a decent. It's on that level. Yes. It's on that level. Tell me about um, working with uh, Gray Williamson. Uh, I, um, I, I consider Gray a, um, a brother, you know, uh, he is my brother, but he is also, um, one of my teachers, mm. you know, and Gray is a guy who I think also is another genius uh, mm -hmm. among us. And he knows his work well enough that he can, uh, he can expound on the medium. Mm. He can expound on the medium. That means you really do understand when you bring a twist to it that actually kind of wasn't there before mm -hmm. because you understand what you're doing so much. Now you can, as Will Smith put it, get jiggy with it. <laughs> so Gray has such mastery and purpose because it's not just the mastery, it's the purpose that he can redefine storytelling to be uniquely his. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what's great about uh, working around Gray is that he keeps me wanting to make sure that my work is is on a certain level, man, yeah. you know, to keep it leveled up, you know. Um, I mean, you guys are really, I mean, you're, it's, it's, it's fine art, you know what I mean? It's, it's what it boils down to. When I went to school, I went to school for graphic design. Okay. And, uh, you know, they kind of made a clear distinction between commercial art and fine art. Right. And I can't make that distinction with what you guys are laying out. I can't do it. Really? I can't do it. Now, um, when I go to uh, to Fiber um, uh, and I look at the site, I'm looking at this uh, gorgeous image. Uh, and I'm going to F up the name. I'm telling you that now. OK. <laughs> Anakulapo. Anakulapo. Uh, Anakulapo, right. All right. Tell me about Anakulapo. Anakalapo man is sort of like I, I realized that it's sort of like an opus for me. It, okay. it is, uh, I think, the first project that I'll be uh, writing uh, and illustrating uh, and publishing and just distributing. You know, um, a lot of my stuff I distribute myself because I have a really nice network of folks who stay interested in, in, in what I'm doing. So I can always move whatever projects. But this here, man, is 
is going to be my foray in the comics because people perceive me as a comic book artist. Mm-hmm. And I'm really not. I'm a painter. You know, I'm a painter who does comics. Right. You know, I like the medium. As you said, I like the figure. Those two things work well together. Mm-hmm. But my whole approach to how comics are done is similar to Gray's, where it's just different because it has to be along with my unique way of looking at things. So I can't really format it in the way that your average comic is formatted. It requires a different expression. And Anacolapo is a project where I get to express all of these unique things while fully painting the comic book in the style that my work is known to convey. You know, full color, full backgrounds, full futuristic conceptualization. Um, But it also has a spiritual component of focusing or, or filtering some of the story through the Yoruba tradition of Ifa. Okay. And Ifa is, is a, uh, I would, it's, some folks would call it a religion. Uh, some would say it's a lifestyle. Some would say it is a tool of divination. Mm-hmm. And I would say there's an argument where all of that could fit as a part of the description as to what Ifa is. You know, I'm aware of some of the practices and really think that the uh, deity structure is quite beautiful, you know, and how you interact with the, the deities. And I thought that it was perfect as a, as a backdrop for telling this story about Anna Kalapo, who is a man whose experiences through his different lives as a child always seemed to bring death to those who oppressed. And Shango, being one of the deities of Ifa, <laughs> noticed, noticed this brother's energy signature man in the spirit through the spiritual veil uh-huh. and asked the uh, almighty, you know, uh, creator, Ola Dumara, if he could take and re um, purpose this brother's life for a brief moment wow. so that can do some divine work in the earth because there were some changes, some new challenges that were going to happen. Okay. And after the creator said, yes, you can do that, he actually had a conversation with death mm. and told death, look, I need you to give this brother right here a piece of yourself to protect him because I have some work in the earth for him to do. And he must fulfill what he needs to do. And I'm going to get him involved in it because I'm going to create a circumstance where his son and his wife will be kidnapped and mm-hmm. caught up in something so that he must get involved and fulfill this. And death agrees. And in one of the incarnations, they repurpose uh, Anacolapo. And he is marked by death with this power. He's given this little pouch, mm-hmm. you know, it's so literal to the figurative, you know, the pouch isn't necessary, but I like the idea that he gives them a literal pouch. Sure. Yeah, it really foments it, I think, in, in, in the brain. Wow. And, well, yeah, Anna Kalapa was born and lives his life and then grows to have quite a normal life in this far-flung advanced future. Mm-hmm. And one day his wife and son doesn't come home because they got caught up in these sweeps, you know, to get what are the few stragglers or mental folks you know who are homeless in this advanced future because you have so few of it but i guess in any good thing you have some things that fall through the cracks now 
he sweeps were part of a government program that had a covert purpose to it. Because the problem in the earth that Shanga was speaking of is the remaining wealthy families who brought so much hell on the earth. It is the last vestiges of that lineage trying to take one more shot at world domination. Mm. So they have been employing and paying the government to masquerade these sweeps of supposedly helping these people and kidnapping these people and experimenting on them. Now the experiment was this. These families in doing their searches for evil ways, man, to be malevolent, came across a malevolent life form that lives in light waves. Mm. And they kidnapped these people to experiment because the delivery system of these malevolent life forms that could actually then puppet the human being once it entered the brain can be delivered through cell phone technology, anything that's backlit. This is one of the sweeps that the wife and the little boy got swept up in. Not because she was homeless, because one of the guys got malevolent, because he catcalled her and she didn't respond. Mm. And he got malicious and he snatched her mm. and the son. So this brought Anna Kalapo into now trying to find a way to find out where his son and his wife are and then find a way to save them, you know, or, or, or get them free. So he goes through his connections and is able to track down that they're at a place called the Citadel. It's a secret place. Mm -hmm. It's actually cloaked in a very covert way on the coast. And he is told by a friend of his who is one of Native American uh, governors, uh, part of Arizona, and they meet. And he um, tells them about a place called the Tawi Tower where he has to train because he is going to have to breach this citadel to get to a certain point and he'll be able to exact their freedom. Wow. He was to train at this tower for what is essentially six months to a year. Okay, stop. I got to stop you right there because this is a damn good story. Sure. I want you to give it all away. Oh, well, and, I can. Uh, until you talked about Shango, it sounded like the newspaper. You know what I mean? Really? <laughs> I, I tease my kids about Shango all the time. So when you mentioned Shango, I had to laugh. Because right. ever since they was kids, I would say, Shango, help me. Kids get to my nerves. You know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah. So now that's beautiful, man. So yeah. I'm hearing... Um, I'm hearing, uh, I guess this is going to be digital at first, and then it's going to be print. Is that the no, plan? I'm going to do, do some print, you know, uh, um, because I want to do a uh, preview book and then the uh, uh, a hardcover book that I'm going to print only 2,000. Print 1,000 of one, wow. 2,000 the next print. Uh, that second print will be an interesting four inches by 12 inches in its, wow. uh, in its composition. It's going to be a hardcover. Okay. That's, yeah, that's completely different. unique book. Yeah, because each each panel that I draw is actually a page. Wow. To be, now, are you going to set up a site particularly for that book? Like, um, well, after I I uh, complete the first preview, I got like two pages left to do. But okay. my schedule, the game has kept me from from completing that. Hmm. So, I'm trying to make sure that I I make some time as soon as I can to get that in. I'd like to do a um, Indiegogo campaign okay. around building some funds for it. Um, but I'd actually like the book to be completed because I want some of the um, narrative 
you know, from the actual story to be known. I think that'll help the campaign greatly. Uh, and it's, I mean, I've been working on it for about four years now. Wow. It's going to be a stunning book. It's really it beautiful. It sounds like it. It sounds yeah, like it. Yeah, um, the, the thing that I've enjoyed uh, about talking with uh, people like yourself is that the future that you project um, isn't necessarily hopeless. There's some struggle. You know, without struggle, there's no story, you mm -hmm. know, in my opinion. But it's not it's not the, the kind of hopeless, uh, despotic future that, you know, that we get from other communities. You know what I mean? Uh, some of our white brothers and sisters, you know, kind of see a future, uh, you know, to be perfectly frank, they kind of see the future that a lot of black people are living in presently. You know, they kind of see that for the whole world. And uh, but when I when I look at your work, when I look at uh, uh, Paul Luis Julie, when I look at, um, you know, some of. The, the 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 images that you guys are projecting into the future, I think is something that we can stand on and be strong. So uh, I'm excited about this project, man. I'm excited about this project. What sparked it? Or was it just a number of things? It was a, just like everything else. It really was born out of the character, you know. Okay. And once I had the character, which was somewhat influenced by Wesley Snipes' first performance or his performance in the first Blade movie. Wow. Okay. And it it. It, when he, stro you know, stroked that sword on the floor, you know, that, that was crazy. That uh, was crazy. That was your favorite scene you know. when he walked into the club and he, he kind of drew that line. Hey, man, you come across this and it's you got to be done, you know, uh, really beautiful. Uh, so that's a part of the inspiration. Okay. But it's been something that I've nourished that has grown the idea of which has grown mm -hmm. over the, you know, four year period. You know, but it really started from something quite simple and then just it has expanded because I have to see about the world's technology because it is an advanced future. So things can't be as we understand them totally today, not even sociopolitically. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of that kind of background work that I've done. It's beautiful. Uh, it's just beautiful. So that you, can, you get full immersion. But I did want to speak to this thing about imagery and where... I'm not coming from. And I'll, I wanted to answer that this way, just mm -hmm. to put it in folks' minds, is I don't do post-apocalyptic. I do paradise disturbed. Hmm. You got to explain that one. I, 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 it's, it's probably so, some layers to it. Said, that's why you said, hmm, because you understood exactly what I'm saying. Right. Start a story off from destruction, because I didn't come from destruction. Mm -hmm. That's not where I came from. Mm -hmm. So I'm coming from a place that understands its balance and then that balance gets a challenge to me that's a better narrative for me mm -hmm. to see from because i'm not starting off with freaking destruction because that's like starting off with enslavement yeah i'm doing it yeah that's it that's an environment that you can have the challenge but you could be under some damn palm trees and get a challenge mm -hmm. Because it means that life overall for me is enjoyable. Yeah. And it might actually be the fact that I have this placid environment to be in that someone else wants to disturb. Mm. That's well, a brilliant motivation to have something to protect. Exactly. Mm. Wow. Now, see, brother, I, I got to tell you, man, listening to you talk and... And hearing the, 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 the vibes and the perspective, it really reminds me of the feeling I had at the Million Man March. 
<laughs> bro, I didn't even know how to respond to that. And the reason why I say that, I tell my kids this story. Probably they probably bored with it now. But the thing that I remember most about the Me and Man March mm-hmm. is, excuse me, brother, pardon me, brother, excuse me. That's what I remember. Um, we was down there waiting for Farrakhan to come up to speak, shoulder to shoulder. We was down there, I think it was the Capitol or whatever, the opposite of the monument, the obelisk, whatever you want to call it. And uh, it was shoulder to shoulder, packed, you know, everywhere. And so we, we was trying to get through and get closer to the stage. And people didn't say, yo, you know, what are you doing? Or, you know, they was just, pardon me, brother, excuse me, brother. All right, pardon me, brother, excuse me. It was like I was in another world. It was like I was in another country. That's the way I felt like it's another country. And so when I look at the kind of the kind of uh, world you're creating um, with your art and story, I, it's, it's kind of like beyond needed. You know what I mean? It's kind of like beyond needed. I remember when my kids were small, when I say smaller, like two, three years old, I used to make them look through Essence and uh, mostly Ebony magazine. And I make them point to a person. I say, that's beautiful. That's handsome. She's beautiful. He's handsome. Because I wanted to kind of inoculate them early. (laughs) You know what I mean? With that cultural beauty kind of a thing. And uh, the African-American aesthetic, the African aesthetic is very strong in your work. You know what I mean? Uh, The one thing I noticed that you don't do straight lines, do you? Straight lines? You don't do straight lines, brother. I'm looking through all your work. I don't see that straight line. Everything got a curve to it. You love the color blue, and uh, and, and there's there's even uh, I don't know like a futuristic. I'm not gonna say like if Jack Kirby was African, <laughs> you know what I mean? It looked like there's a couple of places in there where where uh there's some other influences man talk about that i know i'm not off i've been hitting the uh, uh, batting 100 so far uh, you don't do straight lines yeah there's a lot of blue um in my work so it is it is a favored uh color because uh-huh. blue is a color of nurturing now back in the day uh-huh. a lady told me that if you see blue in your dreams that uh-huh. means your spirit guide is talking to you you ever heard that uh, i have i have okay okay you know i uh i have real strong uh uh, real strong connection to my dreams. Hmm. You know? um, but the color blue is correct. And, and I think what you're talking about when you say you don't see straight lines is it has to do with backgrounds or background elements like your home. car designs, yep, uh, cities. I, uh-huh. like, uh, yeah, um, I try to go away from the normal rectangular structure because in nature, if you look at uh, uh, how honeycombs are constructed, right. and, you know, how vines string together. There is a, a geometry there, uh, certain lattice structures that you'll see throughout nature. It's really good to check that geometry and then design buildings that reflect that because it, it seems like it has a very natural um, um, coherence, you know, to the environment. And I'm kind of looking for that, not just in the cars that I do, but in the clothing that I design for people to look at that's futuristic where uh, design things where we don't have to create so much waste that we buy one car per life because we don't have to sell a million of them because there are other things, you know, that don't create the kind of destructive signature on the planet that we can sell more of, yeah. you know, uh, get the idea of selling kind of away from things because it could be so corrupting, this idea of money. So what I, what I think is sensible, I try to design that into the world. And you see other people's influences. You know, Frank Fazelli is an incredible influence on my work as a youth. 
because okay. of the kinetic uh, nature of his work, but also his color palette. Uh, Boris Vallejo as well um, is is in there. Definitely uh, can see Boris. That's 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 easy. Yeah, his yeah. colors uh, and and just that very oil painterly way of making colors blend through each other. Mm -hmm. um, really studied, but I studied him mostly for how he brought different colors to the skin. Okay. He very specifically suggested that skin was reflective and that, you know, it would actually reflect different colors from its environment. Yep. But also different parts of the body had different densities of skin, like the elbow flesh is thicker and coarser and thus would be darker, while the uh, skin around the chest and breast would be lighter. And if you if you work with that, uh, like we said earlier, anatomy, anatomical uh, awareness in mind, again, immersion, it's more realistic, you know, identify with what you expect to see. Wow. Wow, brother, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, man. I want to take up all of your time. If people okay. want to follow you on social media, the Internet, and they want to be uh, alerted when your book drops and when you're... Uh, your uh, your game for your smartphone drops. Follow me on Facebook. You know, um, I'm very Googleable. I think I got thirty something odd Google pages in the in the search. It's it's massive. You know, um, my deviant site is michindo nine dot deviantart dot com. Cool, cool, Mister Mashimbo Kumba. It's been an honor to have you on the program. All right. Thank you, my brother. Uh, it's a pleasure. You want to do it again, man? I'd, I'd be on. Yo, family, what's going on with you? I hope y'all dug that interview. This is Jonathan Soul speak with you now. I want you to support my brothers and sisters by following them on social media and going to their website and picking up that product so we can stop focusing so much on issues and start focusing on building industry. For more episodes, go to JonathanSoul.com, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L.com. And of course, I'm on social media. I'm on, uh, it's Jonathan Soul at Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. Uh, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on uh, SoundCloud. And um, I'm over at uh, Black Spot as well, that terrific Facebook competitor. Listen, family, I love you guys. And I want all your dreams to come true. And my dreams can't come true without you. And yours can't come true without me. So let's support each other. And let's build this thing together. I love you guys. Peace and love to you and your family. Till next time. <laughs>